morning. Shakespeare said, knowledge is the wing wherewith we fly to heaven. Knowledge is important, of course. Knowledge of how to know, like, you know, how to do our job, how to care for a newborn child, how to, like I mentioned in Bible class, I just read an article last night on how to do CPR. It's, I don't know it. I've never had a training class in it. And imagine the, you know, like the power you would have, if you will, of, you know, the capability to help someone with that. I need to learn it, right? Because imagine being able to, sit, to help someone in that kind of situation. And when Shakespeare said that, that's poetry. Because it doesn't, you know, it depends on the kind of knowledge. In other words, if you're, you're sitting at home one evening and you get a, a phone call and it's very bad news, see, that's a type of knowledge. But generally speaking, when we talk about, you know, knowledge and information, knowledge basically is a good thing. Or to say it the way Ronald Reagan said it, it's not so much that people are ignorant, it's a, this, just that so much of what they do know isn't true. <laughs> so it's got to be the right kind of knowledge. And the Bible emphasizes knowledge, you know, throughout. But Peter especially, it seems, concentrates on knowledge. In his letters, well, of course, he's got two letters, Peter does. And in Second Peter, he talks a lot about false teachers, same kind of theme as we see in the book of Jude. And among other things, he says in verse 3, uh, chapter 1, I think it is, that they will buy and sell you with their words. The word is in the Greek is literally buy and sell. They will make merchandise of you. Some translations say with their words. For us to combat false teachings like Peter teaches, we must know the scriptures. And as we consider the Christian life and being right with God, knowledge is where a right relationship with God begins. That is to say one has to, to them that believe in God, John said, to them he gave the right to be the children of God, John 1 and verse 12. And how do we believe? Except by knowing what the scriptures say. So our lesson this morning is going to concentrate on this concept of knowledge in the book of 2 Peter. Why did, I, why did I limit it to 2 Peter? Well, as I was looking and, you know, going through things, I noticed that the word knowledge, this word I'm talking about, there's more than one word. <clears throat> and this particular word appears 20 times in the New Testament, 11 of which are in 2 Peter. Uh, that's over half. And there are ele about 1,100 words in Second Peter. I just got Kip's attention. So you see about every 10th word, every 10th word is this word knowledge in Second Peter. So you, you can't, um, you know, you, it's a judgment call. When we say things are important, more important in one book, book versus another, but just based on the numbers, right, we can, we can at least take account of that and use that to build a lesson upon. So six points this morning. But don't panic, it won't be as long as Derek's lessons. But uh, nevertheless, we can. <laughs> now, it's nice to have a preacher we can pick on, really, because, as you know, I can't take a joke as well as Derek can, so it's all good. Uh, number one, by which we are converted. Second Peter 2 and verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. In other words, if someone is converted to the Lord and then goes back into the ways of the world, they are, as it were, in a worse shape than before. The, the ways of the world, of course, are things that are so enticing, are they not? They appear good. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, he referred to Satan as a minister of light and as an angel of righteousness, or a minister of light. Hebrews 11.25 talks about 
the pleasures of sin for a season. It describes them as being for a season because the pleasurable ways that are so fleeting, they're pleasurable for that moment, but then later on they tend to make you miserable. But more important for us, they draw us away from God. And Peter is telling us we can escape these things through knowledge. It tells us among, that tells us, among other things, that we were before ignorant, at least ignorant of God's ways. You know, it suggests that. It could also be that we just weren't doing them. But also, ignorance is no excuse with God. The, the ways uh, before, Paul said in Acts 17, God overlooked the ways of ignorance. God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere that they should repent. So a knowledge of him and his true way, <clears throat> and then acted upon, is the way to escape the defilements of the world. Number two, by which we have forgiveness and security. How do you get the, there it is. May, uh, verse, uh, chapter one, verse two, as Matt read, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter uses the phrase grace and peace. And if you go through the New Testament, you know, as you read the letters, those are the, that's the two words as a phrase that many, many uh, writers, scripture writers, as they wrote letters, that's the same kind of greeting that they use as they wrote their letters. But there's still meaning in it, right? So Peter wishes that these two blessings will be multiplied to his audience. Paul did the same thing. And I use it to, I describe it as being knowledge to give us forgiveness and security. Grace, we'll talk about in the next example, chapter 3, verse 18. But he also mentions peace, which in the Christian life has to do with living a whole life. That is to say, kind of a kind of security and a kind of you know, protection that God offers us. It's not just that, like after a Gulf War I, there was a ceasefire. And so you might say that things were at peace, but were they really? Uh, Saddam Hussein's own people, the Kurds, had to flee, and they were refugees, and some of them, I dare say, were starving, didn't have the provisions that they needed, but there was no shooting. So you say, is that peace? No. And in the Bible, peace has to do with fulfilled conditions. As it says in Ezekiel 37, he says, I'll bring them back, and I'll make sure there's no evil beasts to get after them, and the fruit trees will produce, and they'll have, as it were, everything they need. That's peace in the Bible, fulfilled conditions. So why is it that we get these things through knowledge? Well, again, we'll talk about grace next. But we have peace with God because of the knowledge that he gives us. The knowledge, as we see in Scripture, that nothing can harm us. They might kill us, but they can't harm us. Don't fear them that can kill the body, Jesus said. But fear them that can destroy both, fear him rather, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The knowledge that as we go through life, God cares for us in such a way that even something bad happens that we call bad, something traumatic. You're just going along your merry way, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, out of the blue, something you know sideswipes you. I'm talking about in life. That can be for a good purpose. In other words, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And the knowledge that we as Christians, in the end, <clears throat> we win. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. And we get that crown of life when, <clears throat> pardon me, we are faithful to the end, or at least found to be faithful at the end. We have forgiveness and security because of knowledge. 
And these things can come about, I should, I should mention how we get this knowledge. We'll do that in due course, but let me just mention for now, not only are we told these things, but we've got to concentrate on them. And, <clears throat> pardon me, I just told Dale this morning, I better, <clears throat> I'm going to take a break on the duty roster from singing, because I don't know what's going on with my voice. I keep, you know, it keeps getting weaker, weaker, as you may have noticed. Not that it was strong before, but anyway, <laughs> hopefully, you know, the duty roster off will, will help. Anyway, um, so where was I? Yeah, knowledge. So, you know, again, life sideswipes us with something, and we can use that to grow closer to God and become stronger, right? But it's better if we concentrate on things before that happens. In other words, as we go through our day, remind ourselves when nothing bad has happened, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And then when we're sideswiped, that knowledge is already there. And as it were, we have spiritual strength, and it doesn't hurt, I dare say, as much. Number three, knowledge for growth in grace. Grow in the grace, and this is one of the last verses in Peter. Grow in the grace, second Peter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, of course, grace and knowledge are both important, right? And they are both, you know, they're both spiritual qualities that we need to live the Christian life. What is it, though, first, to grow in grace? As it were, grace, you know, is something that God gives to us. It is his blessings. It is his mercy. You know, all the things that are good for us, gracious to us, when we don't deserve them. In fact, we, we can go on to say that God gives us these good things when we deserve to be punished. That's what, truly what grace is. So when we talk about growing in grace, are we not talking about growing in forgiveness? At least it includes that. And it reminds us that we don't get that, among other things, by sinning. If you, if you like, turn to Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. As, um, you know, the dilemma of living, in, living as we live, live our lives you know, what do we do? Do we, do we do all we can to please God? Do we, you know, if, anyway, Paul's teaching, I'm just kind of speculating on what is the right way to live? Well, the Bible has told us, do we do, we do it all 100% and everything? Or some might have argued in Rome that if, if we get grace by sinning, then we should sin more to get more of God's grace. And that's the argument that he's, that he's you, know, you know, arguing against. So he says in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So uh, grace, God's grace, we don't get it by sinning, but we get it by growing closer to God, living his will in our lives. And if we do that, then we have the assurance of his blood. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanseth us from all sin. So we do this by knowing better how to live the Christian life. Again, you know, studying God's word, spending time with God's word, not just reading it, but really learning it and going over it in our minds and letting it, you know, become inculcated is the word, become a part of us. This is how one way to grow in grace. We also grow in knowledge. Now, you know, several of us are in the business of knowledge. That's, that's my work, right? Knowledge. And I go to uh, classes, and some of them, you know, have to do directly with the Bible, like at Amherst. Those classes are directly related to the Bible. Well, you know, one of them is Hebrew language, 
So it's kind of, kind of indirectly related to the Bible, but one reason I like that job is because is it has to do with spiritual things. It's teaching Bible. And then a couple of days a week I go to Hebrew Union and I teach Akkadian, Akkadian, which is even more remotely related, somewhat related to the Bible, but you know, distantly, because, only because it's a, a similar language as Hebrew. But we're in the business of knowledge, several of us who are teachers and things. And that has to do with intellectual development. And I, as I go to Hebrew Union every single time, I pray on the way there that God will help me to somehow plug the truth or bring, because we're not there. They're not there to learn the Bible. They're, they're there to learn Akkadian. But I try to, you know, I, I try to work in some way into the class of plugging the truth and, or bringing glory to him in some, in some way. And I often do that. And the students are always cool with it. So, but anyway, be that as it may, we're in the business of intellectual development. Knowing Akkadian won't bring you, I dare say, any closer to God, unless you. So don't bother. Uh, unless <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Unless it reflects, you know, and, and sheds light on something in the Bible. But a good relationship with God, you see, is built upon upon knowledge. Once again, we learn His Word then by study, and I would encourage you to do so. It's hard in the day and time in which we live. On the, on the one hand, it's hard because we're busy. We've got jobs. We've got other responsibilities. On the other hand, it's easy, right, because we have, you know, handheld devices we can use. We still know how to use three-by-five cards. We can still do that. We have screensavers, and we've got all kinds of ways to get God's Word into our head. No, but nobody can do it for us. So apply yourself. Make the effort to put God's Word into your head and come to Bible class. We don't have very good attendance, in my humble opinion, a lot of times, for Bible classes. Come to Bible class. That's why we have it. And you can get a lot by being in a class situation as well as by studying at home. So then fourth. Fourth. There is also, Peter speaks of, what we call knowledge for living, as, as Matt read for us. It, because this has to do with Oh, come on. Don't do I swipe? There it is. Uh, Peter says, Then his divine power has granted to us all things to, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Godliness, of course, is uh, part of the Christian life, as we know. And as he speaks of, Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're separate, I dare say, because godliness is a part of life, but godliness is particular to the Christian life. In other words, man is not naturally spiritual. And that's a purposeful play on words. He's not naturally spiritual. One has to, godliness has to be adopted as a way of life. So God has given us all things that pertain thereto. And one can't say, as a word to God, you didn't tell me. He did. And so for us to live a godly life, godly life, we must apply ourselves again by knowing God's word. So we can know how to live our lives because the author of life has told us how. And we can know how to be godly because as Christians we are privileged to be godly, to be children of God. And we can learn and know from a knowledge of God's word that, that the Christian life and godliness or, you know, they go together as Christians. We live a godly life as part of life. So I hope I'm not talking in circles, but really God has given us what we need to do to please him. He's given us the means for this knowledge. Number five, there is also knowledge towards self-control. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. This is part of that list there in 1 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, where Peter gives us what we call the Christian graces. And I use it only because he, it's part of, he uses the word knowledge twice. It's actually two different words in, in the Greek. But you notice here he says that knowledge comes after virtue. Virtue means like excellence. It's in one of Plato's dialogues where this guy stands there and he says, well, I know how to do, I can, I can shoot arrows and I can train horses and I can do this and I can do this. And the dialogue is supposed to be about what is virtue. And the point of the dialogue is don't be like that guy because he stands there and says, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And it has to do with excellence. The only way to be excellent is to realize you need to keep growing and trying and trying to be better. So Plato was not inspired. But for us as Christians, you see that knowledge comes right after virtue. And for us to be morally excellent in the sight of God requires knowledge. But he speaks of self-control. As he goes on to say, the ability to, self-control has to do with the ability to deny yourself. Oh, sorry, I think he says that next. Yeah, my, my bad there. Self-control is in the next verse, so my fault. But how does self-control build upon knowledge? Knowledge is what, by which, you know, it governs our thinking and directs our lives. And self-control comes is a spiritual quality. The ability to say, I shouldn't eat that, I shouldn't drink that, I shouldn't do that. Where do we get that strength? I would suggest this morning it comes from knowledge, once again. It's a spiritual quality. And when we grow in the Christian life and become stronger through a, a good relationship with him that comes through knowledge, we have the strength then to overcome the temptations and the things that we shouldn't do. So once again, the knowledge that pleasures of this life are fleeting and that partaking of certain things is displeasing to God and the knowledge that there are other people who did it in Hebrews 11 and that as we run the race and head toward that finish line, as it were, this, the, the race course is lined with people who finish that course successfully and they'll be cheering our name as we approach the finish line, maybe limping in like I did at my half marathon. But if we finish the course as Christians, we win. And then so the knowledge of that others did it, and I can too, is a, is, a, is a way for us to be successful in the Christian life in this regard. Number six, knowledge and spiritual productivity, I called it. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter gives those qualities there in chapter 1, here in chapter 1, we call them the Christian graces. It reminds us that the Christian life is not to be, the Christian rather, is not to be idle. That is to say, it's not just a matter of getting things done, but it has to do with growing. So if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if you live according to these principles, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge once again. So the Christian, thus you see, is led by, through Scripture, we're told, to a fuller knowledge of God's Word and therefore a better understanding of Him. Did you hear me say a minute ago there's actually two different words for knowledge in 2 Peter 1? This is the second one. The first one is a lesser kind of knowledge, if you will. This one is a stronger kind of knowledge. And in fact, what Peter's saying is, if you follow knowledge, dot, 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 then you get the good knowledge or the, you know, the bigger knowledge or the greater knowledge but it helps us to be fruitful in the Christian life, productive, 
and that surely is pleasing to God. It means, once again, a closer relationship with him. It includes virtue. It includes knowledge. And as we learn and grow, we not only become closer to God, but we become more like him. You see, as we incorporate and understand the knowledge of his will, we become more like him. And John says in 1 John 3 that at the, at the end, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. So it's part of a life in the Christian life of changing who we are. And to be a Christian involves or begins with that change, once again, with the knowledge. The, you know, the negative illustration that I used was you're sitting there one evening and you get a phone call with bad news. That can change your world, you see. And it's no more than knowledge coming, coming over the phone until you, know, you maybe have to leave and see what, what happened, what the phone call is about. But when one hears the, the good news about Christ, Jesus died for me, that when he hung on the cross, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, Paul said, how can that be? I'm such a bad person. Why would he do that for me? You see, that's knowledge. And then we, we act upon that knowledge by turning from our sins and confessing his name and being baptized. And how do we know to do that? How do we know we're not supposed to get, you know, a basket full of flowers and go run around the street and throw flowers at, out and expect God to, you know, be pleased and, and save us because we did that? Why, why doesn't that save us? Why do we have to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized? And that's what saves us because of the knowledge, exactly. So from our lesson this morning, hopefully we've learned that knowledge is essential to becoming a Christian, as we just spoke. That's what the gospel means. You know, the word gospel means good news. And that's the knowledge that Jesus died for our sins, as we said. Oops. Bullet point number two. One, two, there are. Not, number two, knowledge is essential to living as a Christian not just becoming a Christian, but living as a Christian once again. I would encourage you, study your Bible. Spend, take, you may have to allot a few minutes, you know, every day. And it's not easy to do, but it's an investment, right? So do it, and you'll find the spiritual, you know, as it were, fruit being uh, produced in your life may not be immediate, but it'll help you become stronger and closer to God. And then third, we can also see or have seen this morning, if we give attention to proper knowledge, then God will know us at the end. Matthew 7, 21 and following, I will say to them, you know, they said, Lord, Lord, didn't we like prophesy in your name? Didn't, in other words, use your word and, uh, you know, cast out demons and all these. Uh, I never knew you. Not that he said, he didn't say, I don't know you now. He said, I never did know you. And the sad thing is they thought he did. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But on the other hand, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, God will rent, render vengeance to them that no, not God, because they're not in a right relationship with him. Yes, God's given us all we need, including the invitation. If, you're, if you've not been baptized, he wants you to come. And what better way, as it were, knowing that the gospel can prick the hearts of men and cause them to turn from sin and become right with God. What better way, as it were, you know, Paul said in Ephesians 4, grieve not the Holy Spirit, if it's possible to grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit, just imagine how you would prick the heart of God. If he looked up down the road and saw you coming, 
like the prodigal's father looking up as it were every day, hoping that today would be the day his son came home. And imagine if you were baptized today. Imagine how that would prick the heart of God because here's the child, he, he, he's longing to come back, that would come back and be right with him. And, you know, there's a place empty. And why, why won't they come back after all we've done for them? We love them so much. Won't they just come back? And again, we know all this because he told us in Scripture. See, I can try to. It's cry too. It's not just Derek. It's, it's me too. But God wants you to, and we want you to. And the invitation is extended, so we would encourage you. If we can help you in any way in your spiritual life, please come as we stand and sing.